0: guest is Catherine Barnard. Catherine Barnard is Professor of EU Law at Trinity College, Cambridge, and Deputy Director of UK Interchanging Europe. Welcome to the podcast, Catherine. Well, thank you for inviting me. Right, we're going to talk about the, the long-anticipated uh, Northern Ireland Protocol bill, because uh, it's very topical. But before that, I'd like us to talk about the Northern Ireland Protocol itself. And maybe for my benefit, and maybe the benefit of some of the listeners, explain what is, the, in a few words, what is this Northern Ireland Protocol, and why does it exist
1: so the principal reason exists is to preserve the Good Friday Agreement. So that was the agreement concluded in 1998, which essentially secured peace in Northern Ireland. And the genius of the Good Friday Agreement was that the perception was, it says, no north-south border, i.e. no border between Northern Ireland and the Republic and the South. And this was much easier to do when both the UK and the, and Ireland were in the EU single market and customs union. Once the UK voted to leave uh, the EU, this raised the question how to manage the issue of the border. Because of course Northern Ireland shares a border with an EU member state. Now the Good Friday Agreement says no north-south border. So then the question is where do you put the border? And the only real alternative was what's called the east-west border, i.e. between GB and Northern Ireland, so east-west, a border, a metaphorical border going down the Irish Sea. That's the only the only way you could square the circle of having GB leaving the single market and the customs union, but also uh, about preserving Northern Ireland's special status by p- making sure there was no border going between the north and the south.
0: Well, it seems to be that ever since the protocol has been in operation, and put together, put aside for a moment the fact that it was negotiated and signed by both parties freely. Uh, although the UK government talks about it being under pressure, it seems that ever since it's come into effect, it's been the subject of severe and, and continued, persistent criticism by by the UK government. And they they use the argument to make the assertion regularly that there's lots of unintended consequences that neither side. Uh, predicted or could have predicted is that a fair assessment
1: yes and no Um, for many people in Northern Ireland um, the Northern Ireland protocol is actually a very good thing Uh, They say they have the best of both worlds, um, because they're full members of the UK internal market, but also they have full access to the EU single market for goods. And indeed you are seeing investment going into Northern Ireland, and indeed the most recent ONS figures show that there are only two parts of the country um, which are showing positive growth at the moment, London and Northern Ireland. So at one level, the Northern Ireland Protocol is a very good thing for many people in Northern Ireland. For some people, however, it's not working, and that would include farmers, in particular, who can't get seed potatoes, who can't get, who won't be able to get um, medicines, veterinary medicines for their cattle, and they are having problems with the protocol. Now, these issues are eminently solvable if there was goodwill on both sides to do it.
0: So, why isn't there this goodwill on both sides to solve this problem?
1: Well, in part because of the position of the DUP, the Democratic Unionist Party, things changed following the elections in May when DUP, the DUP, were no longer the major party. Uh, Sinn Fein, uh, the Nationalist Party, became the largest party and the DUP did not want to enter a power sharing arrangement as Deputy First Minister with Sinn Fein. Of course, from the DUP's point of view, remember they're a Unionist party. Mm-hmm. For them, this idea of having a border down the Irish Sea, this GB-NI border, this East-West border, is repellent to them. Because they say, look, Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom. The clue's in the title. It's a United Kingdom of four nations. And yet, there is this border down the Irish Sea. Now, they're in difficult position, too, because Arlene Foster, said, who was then leader of the DUP, said this was a good deal for Northern Ireland. Mm. Of course, now we know that they don't think it is such a good deal for Northern Ireland. But nevertheless, the DUP have said they won't enter any form of power sharing with Sinn Féin until the UK government deals with what they perceive to be the Northern Ireland Protocol problems. And so the government, on Monday, tabled legislation to deal with the Northern Ireland Protocol, and for the DUP, they say it's not enough because they uh, they don't entirely trust the UK government, and they want that legislation to become law before they agree to enter into the power sharing arrangement with um, the, the in the Northern Ireland Executive.
0: Before we come into detail of the actual bill, Catherine, let's uh, one last question on the protocol itself. You said just now that it, it's 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 popular. Or it certainly, it's a good deal for Northern Ireland the protocol in itself because of its various provisions, but also maybe clarify something again for me and some of the listeners, it is not fully implemented as we speak. There are many grace periods in operation, still in operation. Is that correct?
1: That's right. So it's absolutely right to say that although as I said earlier, many people in Northern Ireland are happy with the protocol, they don't entirely realise that the protocol is not operating with its full vigour because of the grace periods. A good example of grace periods is over chilled meats, um, what the British press referred to as the sausages problem. Right. Um, th- for goods that go into um, the EU, and for this purpose Northern Ireland counts as the EU, chilled meats can't be sold, It can uh, meat like sausages can only be sold frozen. Um, And we're also talking about mints, so things that actually people use a lot. Now, at the moment, there's a grace period, the UK, which was agreed with the EU, then the UK unilaterally extended it, and it carries on operating, the grace period carries on operating, and actually now, the EU have started proceedings against the UK, or restarted proceedings against the UK, um, for unilaterally extending the grace period.
0: That's the question, is About the bill, uh, as I understand it, that there are, there are provisions within the protocol itself, famous Article 16, for some kind of relatively civilized discussion, negotiation about how to 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 solve some of these the problems thrown up by these so-called unintended consequences. Why? Do you think, because it was talked about for quite some time, that the UK government at some point there was always a threat or the possibility expressed by the Prime Minister and many other ministers in the Cabinet, that they would start invoking Article 16 as it was some some kind of panacea? Why did they, in your judgment, move from that position to a kind of a wholesale, what looks like a wholesale, rewriting of the protocol itself?
1: Because Article 16 doesn't allow for a wholesale rewriting of the protocol. (laughs) Article 16 is about... Um, a specific problem that can be dealt with surgically right. and so for example the, the problem over medicines for animals right. um, that is a problem. If the EU wasn't prepared to engage with that as a problem, then the UK could invoke Article 16. But Article 16 does not, is not broad enough to uh, cover, for example, removing the role of the European Court of Justice, which is one of the things that the UK government wants to do.
0: Right. So let's, let's, let's turn now to the bill. It's been subject to incredibly fierce criticism by the the broad legal community, academics like yourself, practicing lawyers and retired judges or ex-members of the the Cabinet who had judiciary functions at the time. Um, How much of this criticism uh, do you think, in your view, is justified?
1: Well, the bill is not a trivial measure, contrary to what the Prime Minister has said. It's not a tidying up exercise. Um, it really um, drives the coach and horses through uh, the Northern Ireland Protocol. Of the 19 articles in the Northern Ireland Protocol, slightly depending on how you count, but well over half of them will be disapplied by this legislation. And the provisions that are going to be disapplied are some of the most sensitive ones about um, border checks, tariffs and so forth. So it is a significant measure. now. So at first sight, it looks like it's a breach of international law, it's a breach of our commitments Mm. under the Northern Ireland Protocol. The UK government, however, runs the argument that um, by applying the doctrine of necessity under international law, uh, therefore they can justify this breach of international law. The problem about the doctrine of necessity under international law is it sets the bar very high indeed. There's got to be grave and imminent peril.
0: Are these Uh, legal concepts which are recognised in the legal community? Yes, that's right.
1: And so, um, and indeed there are a number of other criteria in Article 25, um, which is where the provision can be found. Um, And most lawyers think that those conditions have not been met. And certainly the government hasn't made a case in the short document that's been published to suggest that those conditions have been met. And so if you do not accept the government's defence, then the inevitable conclusion is that the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill is in breach of international law. But the government has been clever in its drafting of the bill and it's going to make it, has made it very difficult for legal challenges to be brought in the domestic courts about the validity of the bill or the act when it gets passed. Um, Of course, that doesn't mean to say there won't be challenges under international law, challenges using the dispute resolution mechanism in the withdrawal agreement, which is where the Northern Ireland Protocol is situated. But it's going to be very difficult to have domestic law challenges.
0: As I said earlier, it, the, the bill itself had been heavily trailed and trailed for quite some time. Nonetheless, when it was uh, revealed a few days ago, as you said, were you and your colleagues like yourself uh, surprised by the extent to which there was this, what do you think you call the wholesale rewriting of the protocol?
1: Yes, I think I think that's right. I think it. Perhaps the government takes a view that if you're going to breach international law, of course they don't accept that they are. But if you you may as well do it comprehensively, mm. you may as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb, I suppose in order to deliver something that they think will be acceptable to the DUP. But as we've heard, just just tabling the bill is not enough to get the DUP back into the power-sharing agreement.
0: I understand it. that The bill, to be clear, is not just a rewriting of the existing protocol agreed by both parties not, not that long ago, but it does, up to a point, does it not, to be fair, um, propose some alternative solutions to some of these issues of trade between uh, east, West and North, South, no?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And in particular, the, um, tr- it trails a green lane and a trusted trader scheme. In fact, the EU has also trailed something rather similar called an express lane. Right. But the, the green lane is essentially a zone where uh, domestic law applies because the goods are going to go from GB to Northern Ireland and stay there. That's the key issue. The presumption that operates um, under the protocol is that all goods that go from GB into Northern Ireland are at risk of going into the south. And what the UK wants to do is to reverse that um, presumption, essentially, and say, in fact, um, our focus is that most goods that go from GB to Northern Ireland stay in Northern Ireland and don't um, go into the south and thus don't affect the EU single market. Now, a trusted trader scheme is actually a rather sensible way forward, and you can see why the UK government is advocating it. The problem is is the legality of the mechanism for them getting there, because it, they're doing it unilaterally, right. not in agreement with the EU.
0: Right. I know you're not a political commentator, you're a lawyer, but uh, a kind of political question, if I may, You said this is all about uh, politics to a certain extent in terms of keeping on board and keeping happy the, the DUP. At the same time, am I not right in saying the DUP has said this will not solve the problem? We won't, or in effect, we won't Trust or believe the government until such time as this this bill enters into legislation and goes through all the dif- different hurdles in the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Is that a fair assessment, where where the government assumes that now the bill is out there that that is enough in itself to placate the DUP?
1: Yes, and and this is where there's a game of chicken going on because Liz Truss has been reported as saying that she wants the DUP to show willing and now the DUP is saying well we d- basically we don't really trust the UK government to do what it's committed to doing and therefore we want to see the the bill in as an act and coming into force before we'll agree to anything now all of this is going to take some time and remember that um, if there's no executive form within six months, there can be a further set of elections. Right. Now, it may be that the DUP is playing for time and they actually want to go for these elections because they realise that they're... A lot of their core vote was split across a number of parties, which Mm. has led to the fact that Sinn Féin is the majority party. If they have another set of elections uh, in six months' time, so November, it may be that their core vote realises that they need to concentrate all of their firepower on one um, party, namely the DUP.
0: It may be difficult to predict, but I'll ask you anyway, uh, Catherine. The likely likelihood of, also the timescale of of the uh, consideration in the in the House of Commons and House of Lords of the, of the bill going forward. How long will the whole process take? Do you think, and what do you think could be the the most most likely outcome?
1: Yeah, I think um, the House of Commons will vote in favour of the bill, really? um, even though one hundred and forty MPs voted against Boris Johnson and the recent vote of no confidence. The fact is that we're hearing that the One Nation group have um, accommodated themselves with the bill and. So, um, are not necessarily going to go to the wall over this one. And so, in in those circumstances, if it gets through the Commons, then it's off to the Lords. Now, the Lords will object, not least because of the sheer range and depth um, of the executive powers that have been given that, gov- that, the, that the Parliament will give to the government in this bill. But given how far-ranging, far-reaching those powers are, the government could afford to make some concessions on. The scope of executive powers, but keep the core of the bill intact. Right. And remember, for your listeners who, who are on this on the EU side of the channel, the Lords is not democratically elected, right. um, and so they will bow to the Commons eventually because they are worried about their legitimacy being challenged.
0: I know it's all politics, the <laughs> the end of the day. But am I right in saying that this, the Northern Ireland Assembly Stormont has the under the terms of the protocol? The right or even the obligation to vote on the, the future of the protocol towards the end of 2024. That's right. Um, so, why not? Maybe it's a naive question, but I'll ask it anyway why didn't the government just let that kind of that procedure take its course?
1: Well, it's a procedure that the government painfully negotiated. It's one of Boris Johnson's negotiating triumphs but they haven't got time till 2024, or at least they would say that um, the problems are being experienced in 2022. We need to get something sorted out now.
0: Um, We're coming to the end of this chat, but uh, two more questions. One is the, again, because a lot of people have not really got their heads around this, the impact of this whole debate uh, on the the Good Friday Agreement um, and its its viability going forward, and also the role, since you're a, a lawyer, of the European Court of Human Rights. Please try and clarify.
1: <laughs> yeah. So the government is saying it's upholding the primordiality of the Good Friday Agreement. And it's a new concept in international law, but primor- that they say essentially the Good Friday Agreement is sacred and trumps everything else. The problem for the UK government in running that argument is that. In a case called Alistair, which went to the Northern Ireland High Court and then the Court of Appeal, the government said that the Northern Ireland Protocol was compatible um, with the Good Friday Agreement. The other issue, as you rightly say, which is, uh, should at first sight is unrelated to what we're talking about, is talk now of the UK leaving the European Convention on Human Rights. Which, and as we
0: all know, is not part of the European Union, right? No. <laughs>
1: different courts, different judges... Uh, it's part of the Council of Europe, sounds very similar to the name of <laughs> EU institutions, but a different body, 46 members. And the UK, for some of the Conservative MPs, uh, they see the fact that there is an external court, sitting city in Strasbourg this time, not Luxembourg. This external court is telling us, the UK, what to do. This came to a head this week over the deportations to Rwanda. Right. What has this got to do with the Northern Ireland Protocol? At first sight, nothing at all, except that if the UK pulls out of the Convention, it puts the UK in a very difficult position with the Good Friday Agreement, which is premised on the UK respecting or implementing the European Convention, at least in respect to Northern Ireland.
0: Right. So, a final question to wrap all this up, Catherine. The the EU response. What has been uh, the EU response to date, if any? Uh, what do you think it should do uh, if you were advising the the EU on this matter, which you're not, obviously? And how effective could their response be in in trying, in some way, to prevail over the the uh, the actions and behaviour of the British government?
1: Yeah. So, at the moment, the UK, the EU's response has been moderate and proportionate. They have restarted the enforcement proceedings against the UK over the unilateral extension of the grace periods, and they've started a further set of enforcement proceedings over the UK not providing adequate data on the border and not building border control posts. But from the UK's point of view, that is to be expected. Indeed, it actually goes further than that because they're also not cooperating anymore on other areas like Horizon. So there are punishments, but um, at the moment they are relatively modest, but there is a whole toolkit out there which is at the EU's disposal should it decide to use it, including imposing tariffs under the uh, Trade and Cooperation Agreement, although we're quite a long way from that. In answer to your question, what could the EU do to make things better? They need to carry on trying to offer some practical solutions to those issues That, for example, farmers are experiencing over medical supplies, right? Um, And um, it may be that they get nowhere with this. It may be that they have to wait to the other side of the Conservative Party conference um, to see, which is uh, start of October, to see what whether Boris Johnson has secured his position better in the Conservative Party, and then might be able to engage more effectively in mm. negotiations with the eu but the politics in the uk at the moment is so uncertain so mm. febrile it it's a mugs game making any predictions
0: <laughs> okay well we have to leave it there katherine barnard thank you very much for your time
1: pleasure lovely talking to you